morning. How's everybody? Oh, I'm really excited to be here. If you're new, I want to welcome you. My name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kesed Church. Thank you very much for coming. This is uh, our third service of the weekend. We have two here, and then we have one downtown that I just went and spoke at and then came back. And so uh, they barely gave me permission to have a drink of water, and then they just pushed me on stage, and they didn't say very nice things about me. So my feelings at the moment are a little tiny bit hurt. But uh, excited, excited still, nonetheless. Um, we're in a series called Rise, and uh, we are in, I think, the fifth week of this series that was supposed to only be eight weeks long, but I continue to let everybody know that there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and so far in five weeks, we're now entering into chapter five. So uh, whatever plans uh, I had continue to be thrown out the window because God just keeps showing stuff and revealing stuff and and I don't know after all these years why I can't just, just stop planning anything because the Lord just does whatever he wants to do. And he's doing a lot in our community right now. Uh, there's all kinds of neat things happening and all kinds of, of expressions of his spirit within our community that we're getting to, 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 to have and, and walk through. And one of those is learning from scripture. Uh, this, is, this is such a, a, a special thing that you're about to walk into, not because of me and not because of any sort of preparation or presentation, but because today you are actually going to be hearing from the living God. Today, through the Holy Spirit, you are going to be receiving from him things in your life that you have been waiting for, things in your life that you have been uh, anticipating, and he's going to do that because he loves you that much and because we serve a God who loves his children and wants what's best for him. And I'll be honest, for many of you, the only reason why you continue to struggle with that is because of your own struggle with agenda and doubt and deceit of the enemy and all those kinds of things that you bring into this room with you. And so what I do at the start of most services is I take a minute and I just pray that no matter what you brought in this room with you right now, no matter what words have been spoken over you, no matter what you have wrestled with all week long, that today in this room right now, as I share from my broken life, that you hear something beyond anyone's understanding as the Spirit speaks into your world, your situation, your life, your circumstance, and just brings incredible freedom to you, to where you are, and, and guidance for what is next for you. Because life is good, and we serve a good God. And he wants to speak into your life right now. So let's do this. Let's pray right now. Everyone's eyes closed. Let's just take a moment and say, Lord, we know in this room there's all kinds of distractions. There's all kinds of things that can keep us from hearing from you. We know, Lord, that, 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 this, that the enemy is out, that he is, he is prowling, and that he is using all his tools and gifts and talents to keep us from hearing the freedom that you, through your Holy Spirit, want to offer. And so I ask, Lord, that we would just be willing to sit in a place and pray over those things, the freedom of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people in this room who are searching, who are looking, who are striving, who are thirsty for something beyond themselves would find exactly that right now. I ask, Lord, that in this room there would just be an, an awakening that no matter what lifestyle, no matter what background, no matter where we come from, that, God, we would experience freedom through the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the spirit that we call upon, Lord, to just lift us from our, our struggles and put us into a place, Lord, where we can see, where we can understand, where we can receive from you 
for you. Heavenly Father, I am moved right now that in this room there are people right at this moment that don't know you. There are people right in this moment right now, God, that do not know who you are. And so I'm just going to, everyone's eyes are closed. We're going to go a little bit off track here. I'm just going to ask, Lord, that if there's people in this room right now that don't know you, that just in this first five minutes, your spirit has prompted, your spirit has dug into their heart. They right now are willing and ready to accept you as their Savior. I'm going to ask that right now, God, that they would simply pray this prayer in their heart. They would say, God, it's me. I'm here today. I'm tired of running. Please forgive me for my sins. I accept that your son died in my place. That his blood was poured out and his body was broken so that I could find the wholeness I so desire. I thank you, Father, for loving me in such a way and I ask that you would just show me the freedom. That you would show me the purpose. That you would show me this new life that you want for me. I give you all of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was a good way to start the service. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Jan, are we good? You warmed up? You warmed up? How do you sign warmed up? Oh, wow. <laughs> we're all warmed up today, people. All right, good. Hey, we're in Acts chapter 5. Okay. <laughs> I did not expect that to be the sign. Um, kind of threw me out of my rhythm a little bit. Uh, in order for me to set up context today for Acts chapter 5, I want to repeat what was shared a little bit last week. And I'm just going to do it through a simple reading of the closing of Acts chapter 4. This is a, really a definition of the community that we're about to talk about. And this is what it says about those people and how they lived. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So this was the community, this was giving, this was loving, this was the birthing of the church. Pentecost had just happened. There's so many powerful things occurring, and people are suddenly a part of something they've never believed that they could be a part of, and so they start selling land and selling prized possessions so that they can be in community, so that the church can be provided for. And then it highlights one specific gift, gift, verse 36, by a man named Joseph. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this field, because it was mentioned, may have been Joseph's entire inheritance. It, may, it was something so significant and so powerful that the apostles took time to write it down and note it, probably because he gave away his whole future in exchange for the church's future. And he lays it at the apostles' feet, and it spreads throughout the community of Acts. It spreads throughout all these different people. It spreads throughout all that's, that's happening. And people go, did you hear about Joseph's gifts? Did you hear what was happening? I did hear. I can't believe he did that. And it got, it, it got, it got kind of some popularity. It got a whole lot of likes. <laughs> Joseph got a whole lot of likes. He went viral, right, with his gift. And so in the community, like happens, 
Other people wanted to go viral. Other people wanted to be known for being generous. Other people wanted to be known for, for giving good gifts. And so we have at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, a story that comes out of the end of Acts chapter 4 of a different set of people, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. This is what it says, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, look at that, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is an important principle that we need to understand, first off, when it comes to giving, especially in our church. Uh, you are not required to give every single thing that you have in order to be equal to some kind of special level of generous giver that, that God deems worthy. As a matter of fact, you are, not, you are also very much so biblically um, allowed, wrong word, but we'll use it in the church context, to be very wealthy and still be a believer of Jesus Christ. You, there, that is, the Bible does not speak against those things. What the Bible's about to speak against here is somebody who presented something that was untrue in order to gain notoriety as something they were not. And so what probably happened is Ananias and Sapphira had a conversation, I believe over dinner. And they said, Did you hear about Joseph's gifts? And she's like, Joseph's always giving stuff. Everybody knows Joseph gives stuff, but I saw him one time with a brand new jacket. He didn't give that jacket away. Spent a bunch of money on that trip to Cyprus last year, right? I mean, he has all kinds. He has way, I would give that too if I had that much money. And Ananias says, we have that piece of property we could sell. And she's like, yeah, but what would we give? And she goes, let's just give it all. So they go to church and they tell everybody at just the right time and just the right moment. When the crowd's quiet, you can hear it a little louder than they should have. We're feeling led by the Lord to give a piece of property. Someone says, what? And she says, steps up, Sapphira, yes, yes, I'm feeling led as well, husband, by the Lord to sell that piece of property. We're going to give all the profits to the church. The church's like, this is unbelievable. Like Joseph gave something and now Ananias and Sapphira, like this is so great. And then they leave. And they put their property up for sale, and people talk to them about it. You still selling the property? Oh, yeah, we're selling that property. It's unbelievable. And guess what? The property sells for more than they thought. And they're like, get the money home, set it on that same dinner table. Are we really going to give all this money? Well, we told them we would. But we kind of let them know it was this much, but it's really this much. Well, let's just give what they think we're going to give. It's still kind of part of it, right? We're still part of it. And they, no one will know the difference. So Ananias says to Sapphira, great. You go out, have some fun with your friends. And uh, when you come home later this afternoon, we'll go down to the church and give it to him. But apparently when she was gone, he grabbed the money, wanted the credit for himself. And so he went by himself. Now, all of that is unbelievably extra biblical. <laughs> it says none of that. But... It does say that Peter confronted him for giving something he misrepresented, and it also says he went by himself, you're about to see. Now, I just want you to know, if I had a conversation with my wife about us selling something together to go bless somebody together, you best believe she's going to be there when the blessing happens. (laughs) There's no way she's like, you're fine, you go give it to him, I'll just go, no way. So already we have a little bit of insight into their marriage. That this is a dysfunctional group couple living in in a very healthy community wanting to be thought of as amazing. And so it says that he brings the gift. And then Peter, Peter calls him out publicly when he gives the gift. Do you know why? 
Because he probably gave it publicly. Because he walked up and said, the gift has arrived. Church is like unbelievable. People, church people love these kind of people, by the way. Church people love loud givers. They love loud prayers. They love loud preachers. Church people love anybody who will stand up and say, do it like me. Because church people are so afraid to do stuff on their own, to look stupid and silly, that anybody who will stand on stage and says, this is how you're supposed to live, people love that stuff. So he stood up and he said, look at me, I gave all this money, but Peter's not having it. Because Peter has Holy Spirit eyes. See, the whole church is full of the Spirit at this point. And Peter says, Ananias, verse 3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? That is not a thank you, by the way, if you're giving something to the church. (laughs) Why is the Lord? (laughs) Like, that's an amazing response. And then he says this. He clarifies back to what I said. You don't have to give 100%, and you don't have to... you, you, You don't have to... um, There's no line that God is saying, if you give this or serve this many hours or do this, now suddenly you've achieved this certain marriage badge of faith. That's not at all how the Christian church, the newly formed church especially works. Verse four, this is what Peter says. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here's this powerful, and some of you got it. You, you three ooze over there, you got it. The rest of us, though, let me, we, need, we, know, we all want ooze together to in this because this is profound. Peter's the only one who knows he lies, and Peter actually doesn't even know really that he lies. The Holy Spirit within Peter tells him he lies. The profound power of the story is that God is not interested in you impressing other people. God is not interested in you getting away with stuff. God is not interested even really in your gifts. He's interested in your authenticity to him before him, bringing glory for him. And so he lies to the Holy Spirit. Peter calls him out. Listen to verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon those who heard it. He died. That is an epic sermon. I'm just saying, if you want to know my standard, I want to preach somebody into heaven literally. How unbelievable is that? Like, like unbelievable that. And just so you know how dialed in Peter was and his church leadership. The very next verse says, again, things no one ever highlights but me. Then it says, verse 6, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. What an epic ushering team. I mean, they were ready to go. They were ready to go. Like Peter preached him dead, and they were like, bring in the, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and just dragging people out during church service. Like that's when you have an epic. So ushers, our, our usher team, this is your new standard. Okay, these people buried people for their pastor. All right, that's what they did. So I just want you to see the kind of church leadership that Peter had here. Now, <laughs> now, three hours later, it says his wife came. I just want to highlight one simple thing. What do you think those folks talked about for three hours? <laughs> like, like, what did people talk about for three hours? By the way, 
You, you want to know biblically why three hours? Because as far as I know, it takes about three hours to dig a hole for a body, and they needed the ushers to come back for Sapphira. And so, so they needed to make sure the boys were back, so they were like, ah, we'll just wait. We'll just wait. So eventually she comes, and she walks in, probably super frustrated that her husband gave away the money that they'd agreed to give together. So she walks in looking around, and there's no husband, verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And there's Peter. And he says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, here's that usher team again, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. The ushers are like, that's our symbol, right? Rush in with the carpets this time ready to catch her, right? Why not? And it says, verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And then the young men came in and they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Because in three hours, apparently, you can dig two holes. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I love this story because it's so dramatic and it's so big and it's, it's so... Uh, in some ways, it's so easy to see what God is trying to share with his church. And yet, because of our culture and because of a lot of the ways in which we're supposed to present things, it's actually a really difficult message to preach. Because what I'm going to tell you today, for many of you, is going to offend you and it's going to bother you. And, and, and it's going to confront what you thought you knew about this all uh, peace-giving, all... Uh, uh, loving, all gentle God that you serve. See, the reality is that these people were saved. Ananias and Sapphira were saved. They were Pentecost saved too. They, were, they had pedigrees. Okay, that's like those of you who were saved. Like, have you ever met people who like can track their, their salvation to Billy Graham? They're like, my aunt, I came to Christ with my aunt, who came to Christ with my cousin, who came to Christ with my third cousin, who was at the Billy Graham crusade. Have you ever met those people? Like, so basically Billy Graham is how, where I came to Christ. Yeah, and Billy Graham did this and did this, and he's connected to D.L. Moody, which is connected to Spurgeon, which is connected to Jesus. So basically, I'm like first generation. Like I, I, and a lot of people believe that. Or, or people will go to school. And in school, they'll get a spiritual knowledge and a pedigree that then gives them insight into not just scripture, but into uh, church structure and church leadership and the way that things should be done. And so everything will come from a very, uh, very specific tone that says this is the kind of way we need to present church to people so that we can be accepted and so that we can move into community. And then you've got guys like me <laughs> who like, like this is the best version of me. It doesn't get any better than this right now today, just so you know. Like my wife washed my jeans last night I'm having a decent hair day, right? I had a protein shake before I got up here. I'm high energy. And I literally scripted 60 minutes of speaking to you. There's not going to be a lot of fault in this. Now, <laughs> it's gross but true. Now, Monday, I was in Dusseldorf, Germany, coaching doing some of the stuff that I get to do with you guys and letting churches know you don't have to be all these things other churches say you have to be. For some reason, people really like that. So they bring me places, and I get to share this. 
And in Dusseldorf, Germany, I get on the plane, and they tell me, hey, here's the deal. Amsterdam, which is where you're going to connect to the States, is super windy, so they've reduced the number of plane flights from 68 to 34, and there's probably going to be two or three of you that may miss the flight, but most of you should be fine. I'm the two or three that missed the flight. So I land in Amsterdam. When I'm in Amsterdam, uh, they say go over to this line with another 600 people that miss flights from all different flights due to the wind and the ratio of plane entrances. And when you're there, uh, they will offer you a hotel stay for you will not fly out till tomorrow. Now, I don't know if any of you have traveled through Europe. Uh, I've been fortunate to do it a few different times, but one of the first things you're gonna notice when you go to Europe, specifically Germany, is that they don't have the same American two-foot space when you're standing in a line that we do. Like, they, they, they're very comfortable touching and connecting and being very close because they're very, that's just part of their culture. So I'm standing in the queue to get my bus shuttle ticket to the hotel with multiple people with children that are super frustrated that they missed their flight like I am, and their children are slightly more frustrated than they are. And I'm sitting there not like this at all. Like, I literally almost pushed a two-year-old down. And I'm going to be honest, she was sick, she was snotty, and she was wandering around, and she came over, and I blocked her with my suitcase. And I was like, nope. Nope. And she kept trying to get to me, and I just had wheels, and I was like, nope. <laughs> nope. I am frustrated. I haven't slept in like 14 hours. I'm sleeping overnight, and I'm not getting whatever's hanging out of your nose. So go, 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 go. Back to your mother. <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that. I say that all for this, for this simple reason, that what we're supposed to be is, is, is us before God. What we're supposed to be is us. And a lot of times people think when you become a Christian or when you go to church, you're supposed to be something else. But this passage is showing you that even with a Pentecost pedigree, even with that, God wants you to bring your all. God wants you to bring exactly what it is you're supposed to, not what you think other people around you want you to bring. So these people, first off, are believers. I said that a minute ago. That's important because a lot of times we hear stories like this and we're like, well, obviously they were pagans. Obviously they, they, they lived a different lifestyle than us. No, not really. They came to Christ the same as everybody else. They were serving like everybody else. They were connected like everybody else. But they most likely got jealous of Joseph's story and wanted to be thought of like him. These people were believers. This means that Ananias and Sapphira were part of the saved community. This is a brutal reality, and I'm going to put it on the screen. I told you you're not going to like it, but in this passage, what we have is evidence that God took the lives of his own believers. Mm. The best evidence that they were believing children of God may be that they received this discipline in the first place. Hebrews 12.8 says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate, illegitimate children and not sons. God loves you, and God loves you. And there oftentimes can feel a vast difference between the way in which we receive the love that God has poured upon us, especially if we don't think that we really need his love because we're not really that messed up in the first place. The question, of course, then is, what benefit to the church would it be for God to do this, for God to kill these believers in this way at a church service? For one thing... 
The dramatic deaths of Ananias and Sapphira served to purify and warn the newly formed church community. The deaths of these two followers brings warning to the fact that even believers can be led into bold, flagrant sin. Mm. Let me put it another way. A powerful salvation does not inoculate you from a powerful sin. I do not care how much education you have, how many people you've come to Christ, or how big the church was you planted five years ago. I don't care how many small group leaders you've had. I don't care how devoted you are. I don't even care how long you've been married. I've met a lot of people who've been married for a lot of years who were terrible, terrible spouses. Those things are not the things that we should be measuring. Those things are not the things that we should be using to keep us safe and holy, right? Safe being, being within God's will and presence, which always isn't safe like you and I think, but certainly it is, it is uh, within how he wants us to live out our lives. It certainly doesn't lead to death like this. But when we are people who want to present with our certifications of righteousness, with our church pedigrees, with our, don't you know I studied under? Well, I used to be a small group leader for her. I've been a Christian for like 47 years. I don't care. I don't know what that means. Like I've been a dude for 40 years and I'm still not that good at it. So I don't understand what that means. Like it, 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 you cannot put that quote back up for me, please. You cannot inoculate yourself from great sin. I think I use the word great sin because I think everybody accepts you can't inoculate yourself from little sin. Little stuff, little failures, little little quiet things, little spats with your wife, or maybe you didn't tip the full 15% like Christians do, or little stuff, little sin. But I'm talking big public failure. Oh no, that could never happen to me because I'm me. These people are Pentecost saved, and yet they walked into a church service with gifts for God and got struck dead. How safe do you think you are? how safe am I? You may say, why do you keep using this word safe? I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't, God is, God is always safe. God is always this. Well, let me read a few verses to you. Proverbs 9, 10 says something along the lines of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So many passages talk about this fear of the Lord concept. Psalms 11, 1 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Why am I bringing up fear in the Lord? Because if you notice the last two verses after each death, this is what it says. We'll use just uh, verse 11 as an example in chapter 5. The young men came in. They found her dead. They carried her out. They buried her beside her husband. Verse 11. Okay, it's the same as the, the phrase after when Ananias was struck dead and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Why did God do this? To bring great fear into the new church. What? I don't understand. That's why he did salvation at the beginning. I've now accepted him and now you're telling me he's scared. Now it's telling me to be afraid. No, what I'm telling you is that when you have a fear of the Lord and when you have an understanding of who he is, then you can live in the freedom of his power and his presence to bring all of you to the offering, not just the shiny bits. God wants all of you. 
But unless you realize how powerful God is, that his cross, that his story, that his, his extreme love for you can, can surround and cover your brokenness, then why would anybody bring their hidden stuff if God's not big and strong and powerful? This is the difference between a Bengal cat. One of the, you know the little, the, little, uh, the little Bengal cats people breed? They look like little miniature tigers, right? They're really pretty. They're really fun. I've been around a few of them. That's the difference between seeing one of those walk out of the woods and you're like, whoa, that shouldn't be here. That's expensive. It's valuable. It's really beautiful. As a matter of fact, I'm standing in awe of how gorgeous this small seven-pound cat is. I wonder whose it is. Maybe I should find it at home. Come here, kitty, 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 kitty. Or hearing the smash of a branch turning around and seeing a tiger with your dog in its mouth, right? That would be a whole other thing. Be a whole other experience, right? You're like, is that Fido? Is that a tiger? Like you would be like, it would be a whole other experience. You would not take time to be like, he is beautiful. He's so quiet in the woods. I didn't even know he was there. He's 11 feet away. Like, you would be fearful. You would be, you would just, your mind would instantly explode with thoughts of how do I survive this encounter? Because standing next to him, I feel small. I feel insignificant. I feel like I can't get away, but I want to. And I am, I am here trapped in his presence. Do you know that for most of us in the room, we have more awe and respect for tigers than the one who created tigers? We think about God and we go, eh, he's so loving. He's more like Santa than he is the Almighty. And yet it's because of this perspective that we think we can walk into a church service like this today, and now I'm just going to call a bunch of you out, and pretend like you are a good person living a good life because you're really good at this 15% that people see. Hey, this is the best version of me, calling out the best version of you. Don't pretend for a second like somebody didn't wash your jeans last night. Maybe you, yourself. And that you didn't walk in here prepped and ready to answer all the questions, to sit in the pew, to make sure everybody thought the very best of you they possibly could. Best version of me, calling out the best version of you, it's all garbage. According to scripture, God sees past all of it. He sees past yours, and this will really scare you, and he sees past mine. He knows everything that I bring with me on this stage. Why do you think I pray 90% of the time, God, your agenda God, your will over our church, because I want to live. That's why. <laughs> like, I want to live. I don't want to be like, God, pray, that just bless us with really articulate sermon, and then everybody laughs, and everybody's fun, and all of a sudden God's like, mm, nope. <laughs> Ushers are like, that's our cue, right? <laughs> I just get rolled up. I'm out. I want to live. And so I recognize that I bring my stuff on stage. I recognize that I don't spend time in fearing God and the power of his presence. Let me give you a better, um, some better concepts for fear biblically. There's really three primary concepts for fear. Uh, one can be fear to refer to terror. Terror one feels in a frightening situation, Deuteronomy 2.25. Another one can be fear that means respect in the way a servant fears his master and serves him faithfully, Joshua 24.14. Another one can be fear that denotes the reverence or awe a person feels in the presence of greatness. Now, according to your church style, theme, and what's more politically correct, I biblically can swap between all of them. 
When in reality, to fear the God from a biblical standpoint is all of them. It is fear and terror. It is fear and respect. It is fear and reverence. It is recognizing that when I come before God, he is this all-consuming fire that brings peace like a river. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? He brings peace like a river and is an all-consuming fire. God wants you to see and know both that he is the smallest of the small and the biggest of the big, that he is as intimate as you've ever experienced and beyond your understanding when it comes to his, the, inf- the infamy of his existence, that he is both and, and that because he is both and, he can deal with both your small, small, small secret sins and your huge blood-curdling, gushing-forth public sins. He's big enough because he's small enough. And he's small enough because he's big enough. And that's why when we come to him, what we need to do is just bring our whole selves. Do you know what Ananias and Sapphira should have said? They should have sat over dinner. They should have said, we sold the land for more than we thought. And I'm afraid to give more than this percentage. What are we going to do? Let's just be honest. Okay. They should have walked into the church and said, we said we wanted to give this much, but we're afraid. So we're only going to give this much. Peter would have seen that. He would have seen that look in their eyes. The church would have went, they're human. They would have said, we, we're just fearful. We don't know if we can change our lifestyle. We don't, we don't know, but we want to follow through with what we said, but we're scared, and this is what we sold, and maybe next week, but, but Peter, we're just broken, and, and, and we're, here's our offering. And the church would have applauded them and this chapter would have been radically different. Because just because I'm broken doesn't mean I don't stand on this stage. Just because you're broken doesn't mean you don't go to work and still share the gospel. It just means you do it being both and. Because you serve a God who is both small and big enough. Who says, I want all of you just how you are. We are called to be people who live in that presence we are called to be people who recognize that God sees it all anyhow. Revelation 2.23 says, All the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Nothing escapes his attention. Too many people, including too many of you and me, want to tame God into a non-threatening nobody. And so concepts like fearing God are downplayed or explained away. God killed believers. Because they lied to him, not because they lied to the church, not because they lied to Peter, but because they lied to him. Chuck Swindoll, I still love to read my old Chuck, it says this, in a sense, God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would seek to enter the church. Everybody who would enter the church and say, this is the whole of me. Ananias and Sapphira are signposts of proclamation to say, don't approach the Lord that way. Be honest, God, this is the part you can have. This is the part I'm keeping for me. That's what God can deal with, amen. That's what God says, I got that. Because God will come after the parts of you you're not giving up. God will come after the parts of your marriage you're not surrendering. But stop pretending when people ask how things are going that everything's good. Everything's good. How was your trip to Germany, Danny? It was flawless. Gospel preached. Really? Oh, I spent so much quiet time with the Lord. It was unbelievable. I fasted, which I sort of did in the airport. I dealt with some least of these. 
Two-year-old snotty girl trying to attack me on the other side of my Samsonite. (laughs) You can spend it all, people. But you can't to God. He sees it and he knows it. And the best part is, this is what I want you to hear. He wants it. Right? He wants it. He wants your marriage. He wants your past. He wants your future. He wants your fears. He just wants you to recognize that you don't even know how to give it all because that's why Christ came on the cross because it is through the cross that slowly through transformational gospel living that you can become the person God's calling you to be as you give over piece after piece after piece of you. He forgives it all. He covers it all. But let's be clear. We're broken human beings and we don't surrender it all very easy. Here in the presence of the Lord, we must be ever diligent in our own pursuit of the cross in exchange for these kinds of selfish presentations that make us look better than we are. We need to be aware that Ananias and Sapphira are there to warn us about being in the community, raising our families, and acting like we are more than we are. And we must constantly... I must constantly ask myself if I am being honest about what it is I am bringing him because I don't just want to bring him my sermons. I just don't want to bring him my coaching trips. I don't just want to bring him the things in my life that are successful and shiny. I want to bring him the things I can't seem to let go of that hover over me. I want to bring him the parts of my story that are broken. I want to bring him the fear and the anxiety I have about our church changing and what you might think of me if this happens or that happens. I want to bring to him my insecurities. I want to bring to him everything that I am because it is only in that place that the blood of Jesus Christ can say I receive all of that. I am big enough and small enough. I am loud enough and quiet enough. I am an all-consuming fire and a life-giving stream. I am, as he said to Moses, what I am. I am all of it. And I receive all of you, Danny, but I think, my friends, if we, you can leave with one simple thing, most of us aren't honest about what all of us really looks like because we want to bring our best selves forward. We want people to go, oh, nailed it. But God, he takes those presentations very serious. And in our church, we're going to take those presentations very serious. And so here's what we're going to do. It's a little different today. We have 10 minutes left in this service. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two of those minutes to reflect on everything I just said right now. And then we're going to spend the next eight minutes in a time of worship and reflection. But here's the deal. I don't want you to bring your best to worship. I don't want you to bring your shiny to worship. I don't want you to bring your, your, your successful self to worship. Today, as we reflect, I want you to bring the stuff you've never brought before. I want you to complete the other stuff that you have brought for many years. I want you to share about your insecurities, about the things no one knows about. I want you to stand before God and proclaim yourself stained and in need of his presence. I want you to stand before God and admit that there are so many things that you don't even know how to confess or how to share. I'm wrestling with right now who I'm going to be over this next decade. Decade, I've been bringing that to God. This person that I've been in my 30s, I cannot be in my 40s. I don't even know what that means, but I know what it means. It means there's a version of me that has to die that I really like, that has brought a lot of benefit to my life. And God's like, 
No more. It's a new version of you. I don't even know what that means. But I know that it's my stuff and my insecurity. And so that's what I'm bringing during my two minutes. I confess it not because you deserve it, because I think it's helpful. You don't deserve it. Only God deserves to know my stuff. But you have stuff. You have a marriage. You have children. You have finance. You have career. You have physical. Uh, you have spiritual. You have intellectual. You have, you have all kinds of things that God wants you to bring that maybe you thought were beneath him or maybe you thought were, he would be, he would, you would be too embarrassed to share. But this is your opportunity to sit in that time to, to ponder those things and to ask God what it is you want me to do next. And so I'm going to lower all the lights in the house. I'm going to ask uh, Paul to come out and underscore, and I'm just going to pray over you for a minute. And then I'm just going to walk off stage and give you two minutes. Two minutes to just reflect, and then we're going to come before him in a time of worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm not exactly sure what to pray over this room so many people are getting ready to share with you things they've never shared before. I know, God, that what you want to see happen will only happen if we're willing to sit in that silence and space. Lord, we want to bring our whole selves, but it is very scary. We recognize that you are powerful, that there are aspects of your power that cause fear in our lives, and that God, from a sense and perspective of awe and reverence, we enter into that place anyways. For some of us, we're trembling because we want to live, God. We want to live and be better husbands and better wives, and better people. We want to live less lonely, less fearful. We want to experience the fullness of this creation that you've made for us without the burden of the addiction or the hate or the unforgiveness or the unrepentance. So, Lord, I just move us into a time of reflection within that place and that presence. Receive our hands stained. Receive our hearts broken. And receive our worship muted by this life. We praise you, Father. We lift up these broken feelings, broken hearts, broken lives, and broken songs for you who heals all.
Bro!